So here's a, a longer passage, uh, but I often find chapter one and two of Genesis really set the score for us as we understand life, as we understand everything about who we are, how God created us. And it will be important for us as we talk about the gospel. Oftentimes, when we talk about the gospel, we tend to start at the point where people sin. And we forget that before sin entered the world in Genesis chapter three, there are actually Genesis chapter one and two. And so I want to start off with this little stats right here for you. There's recently been a study done by Springtide Research Institute about the state of religion and young people, young people specifically of Generation Z. So those of you who are here that are 24 and below, I don't think we have any uh, six years old and below. So if you're between six years old and 24 year old, you are part of the Gen Z, uh, Generation Z um, to, to, to throw a label on you. I included these uh, um, stats here for a reason, because the study was uh, researching about how young people, Gen Zers, think of religion. And both in the case of people who are affiliated with a religious organization, whether a church, mosque, or a synagogue, or unaffiliated. I won't go in detail on this, but I want you to pay attention to uh, the the one affiliated first on the left-hand side. It says 52% of people who are affiliated, be a part of church, a part of a synagogue, part of a mosque, actually have very little trust to organized religion. So half the people who attend don't even trust themselves, trust the organization themselves. They don't trust the church. They don't trust the, the, uh, the mosque. 33% 33% of the people in Gen Z who at, only 33% of Gen Zers attended a religious service like what we have here uh, or a mass in the Catholic church once a year or less. That's a third of the people in that generation attended a worship service only once a year or less. Now, those are the people who are technically checked themselves. The box that says they are affiliated with a church or a religious organization. But what about those who are unaffiliated? You would think it's actually would be worse, but it's actually about the same. And you look at it, 60% of them are who are unaffiliated into any church, mosque, or a synagogue, or, or, or any, any religious uh, uh, institution. 60% of them says they are at least slightly spiritual. So they have some spirituality. They are interested. 19% of those people, those, those uh, Gen Zers, attended religious gatherings at least once a month. And then 38% of these unaffiliated people will say them that they are religious. So what we see, the bottom line of these stats and numbers is simply this. People who are affiliated are about the same as people who are unaffiliated. And then you may be wondering, Ben, why are you sharing this with me? So if it doesn't make a difference, why bother? My point simply is this. We, can, we increasingly live in the world where people are untrusting to a religious institution. There are, there are doubts, there are pushback against organized religious institutions like the church, like a synagogue, like a mosque. But the reality doesn't, is that people are not against spirituality. People might not like the organization or the church or the mosque or whatever institution it is, but they are continue to be religious. And this is so important for you and I to understand because many of you live in this world. We live in this world. Many of you interact with people in this age group. And it is important because we no longer can tell people just go to church. 
if people who go to church don't trust the church, when I use the word church here, I mean the organization, not in a biblical sense of people of God. If they don't trust the organization of church, you inviting them there is not going to help them necessarily come to know Jesus. But just because they don't trust the church does not mean that they do not want to explore spirituality. They do not want to explore who Jesus Christ is. And so on one hand, it's sad to say that uh, religious organizations and institutions are not as trustworthy to a younger generation or your generation for many of you. But on the other hand, we need to change our game plan instead of just saying, hey, go to church, go to this, go to that. This event that church throw uh, throw out, maybe the better way to do it is empower every one of us to be the gospel agent, to bring the gospel to them. This is the, the reason why we're going through this series is we want to empower you, equip you, enable you to be that gospel agent to the places, to the people where you live, work, study, and play. So that people will no longer have to come to just say they have to come to church to get to know Jesus. Yes, we still want to invite them. I've shared these stats with you before. There are about 1.8 million people in the greatest in Gabriel Valley. Here's a picture of a, of a picture that I have in the background. Um, uh, someone drew this and all, representing all the cities in St. Gabriel Valley. There are about 1.8 million people living in St. Gabriel Valley. Uh, 1.4 of them are far away from God. 1.4 of them do not register or indicate themselves as of any religion, particularly Christianity. Now, traditionally, what we do is we point people to the church and subsequently point people to the pastors. Let's just do some quick math here. I know Sunday, your day off of school for many of you, but let's still do some math here. If we think that there are 1,000 churches, which I don't think there are 1,000 churches, let's just be generous. There are 1,000 churches in all over St. Gabriel Valley, in all these cities. And if our our strategy is for the 1,000 pastors, let's just assume one pastor per church. Some churches have more pastors like ours with three, right? So let's just assume one per church. If you just divide the 1.4 million by 1,000 pastors, if they are the only one who bring the gospel to the people who are far away from God, that means every person like me needs to reach out to 1,400 people. And one look at my Facebook relationship i don't even have 1400 facebook friends and we know how true those friends are on facebook right i don't even have that amount but if we change the way we approach sharing the gospel what if we say instead of the church instead of the pastors what if those four hundred thousand believers followers of jesus christ what if they are the agent of the gospel what would happen we do the math 1.4 divided by four hundred thousand. Each follower of Jesus Christ, each Christian, only need to reach out to four people. Four people. I, and that was being generous because you can't do 3.5 people. So I just rounded up to four people. If every one of us living in St. Gabriel Valley reach out to bring the gospel to four people, we can literally reach, bring the gospel to 1.4 million people. So it is not as hard. It makes math sense. But more than just math sense, it actually makes spiritual sense because that is exactly what Jesus has called each one of us as disciples of Christ to do. We recite the Great Commission very often. And I say it all, all the time that the Great Commission is not for those who are the lead, the few, the proud, the Marines of the spiritual uh, world. 
No, it is for every follower of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite quotes about, uh, about being missional, bringing the gospel to the ends of the world, is by a guy named Leslie Newbigin. He was a Indian. Uh, he was a missionary to India, returning back to the uh, to to England, eventually also in America. He says, "says the church is a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of God's coming kingdom." And the church here is not the religious institution. It is the church, the people of God. Those of us sitting right here on this Zoom call or on our YouTube feed, you who, who believed in Jesus, call him as Lord and Savior. You who last week we talked about in our hearts said Jesus Christ as Lord to be holy. Those of us are called to be a sign for people of what God's coming kingdom will be like. We are the one who are called to be the instruments to help people to get a taste, a, 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 a imperfect taste of what God's kingdom, perfect kingdom to come. And that is the calling of our lives. And so t- it is to that end that we are going to talk about today. How do we prepare ourselves better? If you remember last week, we throw out four questions. Remember, we talked about, are you seeing Jesus as your Lord? Are you making Jesus the Lord? If he is not, we're not going to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth because Jesus is the ultimate reason why we should do it. Then we talked about, are you ready to give a reason for the hope that you, uh, that you believe, that you have? And this is why we're going through this series. We're preparing you so that you will be ready to share the gospel. Then we talked about, does your life cause people to ask questions about your faith, about Jesus? Because if our life doesn't cause people to ask questions, then we can have the answer but there's no, no chance to give the answer to. And finally, we ask the question, are you ready? Are you ready to embrace suffering? Are you ready to persevere even through rejection? And so this week for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about to equ- how do we, can we equip ourselves. And we're going to go through this, um, one of the many methods of sharing the gospel called the three circles. And when we think about the gospel, one of the first things we need to start with is actually not where sin enters into the world, where it's brokenness into the world. We're going to start off from the very beginning where God has perfect design in our lives. In God's creation, there's the perfect design. Um, I'll be honest here. I am an uh, avid Apple uh, supporter. Um, if you, any of you have an iPhone any Apple products. One of the reasons why I bet you bought it is because, aside from the fact that it seems hip to buy it, uh, to use it, is just simply because of the design of the products. I, Hannah, uh, knows that I, I knew that I thought long and hard before I made my conversion over from Android and PC to a MacBook and iPhone. One of the reasons why they got me is because of the design of the product. One is it looks, just looks nice. You know, it just looks nice and sleek and it is very uh, well um, designed. But beyond that, there's also within the Apple products, you can transfer, jump from one product to another without skipping a beat. And one of the greatest design, I think, is simply, by the way, I don't get commission for selling Apple products here, but I'm just using an illustration, okay? Uh, one of the greatest thing is when I get a new computer, a new iPad, I can just transfer all of the information over. It is one of the best design there is for, for any electronic product. I don't need to upload it myself. I don't need to do any of that. And if I miss it, I can just simply sync it up. And what that's one of the reasons why a lot of people who, who, who have Apple product love it because of the design. 
And there might be things in your in your life that you love because of the design. You love a design of your house. Um, you love the design of, of one of those uh, Japanese toilet seats that warms it up in the morning. <laughs> There's amazing designs of things, and we love it. And and believe it or not, the scripture tells us from the very beginning, God has a perfect design. In this world, and all of creation, but better yet, he has a design for your life and my life. And when we talk about the gospel, the most important thing we need to start with is God has a design. We continue to live in a world where people think that we have the best design. But this is the reason why from the very beginning of scripture, God told us he has a design. It is important for us to start at that place. So I want to share with you some of God's design today. And uh, from Genesis chapter one, the first thing we see is simply this, that God created us and loves us. And in those of you who grew up in church, you know, this is like the band. Like I've heard this like a thousand times, like God created us and love us. I knew that uh, we've read Genesis. It's hard to go around without knowing that. But it's so important for us to actually remember because later on when we talk about the brokenness of this world, we realize that sometimes the reason why we live broken lives is because we forget that God created us. I love how it starts off in, in scripture. Here's the God created everything. Genesis chapter 1, again, your Bible starts from the very beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything and subsequently In the rest of chapter one, he created the light, he created the land, he created the water, he created vegetation, he created plants, he created everything. And at the end of each one, it says that God created them and it says it was what? It was good. It was good. Everything that God created was good. But at the end of all the creation, God summarized it to uh, the, the pinnacle of God's creation was who? Human being. God did not just create some good stuff and say, oh, it's good enough. But everything that he created was exceedingly good. And the best thing that he created, the most, he saved it to the end was what? Human beings. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and all the animals and all that stuff. Right? He says, let us make man, human being are the only one that was made in the image of God in his likeness. Nothing else. God created us to be like him. And God didn't have to. I don't ever ask that question. Did God really have to create us? And oftentimes the answer is, oh, yeah, God created us to glorify himself. Yeah, it's true. God wanted to do that. But, but did he really need us? He's self-sufficient in, his, in himself. The Trinity is God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They have enough of them enough of themselves. They don't need more to bring more glory to themselves. And I didn't understand this for a long time until I become a father. Until we start having kids. I don't ever thought about this. Why did your parents give birth to you? After I become a parent, I realized that there's no gain to that. To, to that decision. You have no time because your kids take up your time. You have no money because they spend all your money. There, it, it is a zero sum game to having kids from a, from a, from a earthly perspective. 
Why would I want to give them my free time when I can do other stuff? Why would I want to give them my life to serve these kids? If I want a better retirement, I should probably invest it better than having kids. There's no guarantee they will take care of me. But you know what I realized? Most parents under most normal circumstances, and I can speak for my, myself and for my wife, the reason why we want to have kids is not because we want to see what we can get from our kids. We want to give life to our kids because we want to share with them because we love them. We want to love them as our own. We want to give of our best to, to our kids. And I believe that's a glimpse, a small glimpse of why God created us. I mean, think about it. You didn't go very far. By chapter three, people are already sinning against God. And we'll talk about that next week. And yet God created us perfect in his image, not to necessarily get stuff from us, but he wants to give us something. He wants to love on us. Out of the overall, he wants to give us what's best. He wants to give us, give us himself. And in the same, in a small way for every parent, that's what they desire to do. They, they're not looking at kids, what can I get, but what can I give to them? And for most parents, I know they will literally give their lives to the kids to protect their kids. I joke with my parents sometimes, uh, other people too. Even though now I'm a father, my parents still treat me like a little kid because they love me. They love our family. They want to give to us in any way possible to, to show their love for us. And in that same way, God created us, not so that we can be some robots to serve him, but he created us so that he can love on us. Which leads us to the next thing is what, even though he, uh, because he loves us, because he loves us so much that he created us with purpose and design. God created us and loved us, not just, not just to show part of the way he shows us his love is he designs us. He has a design for every aspect of our lives. God did not just create us and just leave us be and just wind the clock and let's just go. But in every single part of our life, he has a perfect design. I want to just run through briefly with you. I don't have time to go through in detail, but God has a design for our gender identity. Think about that from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God made it a point for us to understand that he had created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them. God created us to be binary, while well, either a male or a female, and it is not for, 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 for lack of good design. It is the design of God to make us to be either male or female. And there's nothing in between. Not only did he make us give a design us with a perfect gender. Some of us want to be, uh, maybe we're born a boy and we want to be a girl. Some of us want born a girl, maybe want to be a boy. But those are things that God had purposely good design for you to be a boy, for you to be a girl. God has planted that for a reason and for your good. Not only did he give us a, a perfect gender identity. God had the design for our families. God meant for families to be families. I know it is so fundamental. God meant for the family to have a mom and a dad, mom and dad to love their kids, kids to honor their parents. It is very 
basic, and yet that is the design, the good design of what it meant to be. Verse 28, we saw, uh, verse 27, we saw gender identity. Verse 28, we saw God blessing Adam and Eve. And he called them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So it is not a chore for parents to give birth to their kids, even though some days it feels that way. But it is God's design for us to be fruitful, to multiply, that we're to give of ourselves to others. In a physical family sense, but also in a spiritual sense to others. So there is this idea of family that's important. But not only that, God also designed us to work. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, went on uh, to, went on to, uh, actually chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Many of us forget that this actually happened in chapter 2. That happens before the fall. Before sin entered, we might think of work as a punishment of sin, but God actually designed us to be working, to have purpose, to have meaningful in our lives. And so that we can, so that we can exercise purpose, usefulness in our lives. God called us to work. Work is not a punishment of our sin. Work is in itself is good. So that's a prayer. But not only work is good, rest is also good. God designed us not to be a workaholic. Some of us are on that extreme. We, we need to be resting God himself in his creation. Verse uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. Verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work and he had done and he rested on the seventh day. That we are called, the design of God is not for us to work nonstop, to stay up all night, to work every single minute. But God designs for us is to rest, to be satisfied in him, to know that even when we're sleeping, God still has control over our lives. But not only that, God also calls us, designs for us, for many of us, he doesn't say all of us, for many of us, to be married, to be united with another another person. Verse 24 in chapter 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Not a male and a male, not a female and a female, but a male and a female, and they should cling together, cleave together to be one. So there should not be oh, multiple marriages. There should not be a fear. There should not be divorce. There's together. There should be togetherness for the rest of our lives here on earth. As I mentioned, these things, you maybe some of you are struggling with this because you're hearing from the world. These things that are what I just described may seem to be wrong. But these are the perfect design of God. And guess who is trying to mess each one of these design up? What are the, t- the top the, the, the most contention topics and, and things that this world is struggling with. Gender identity, the brokenness of families, imbalanced work life, imbalanced rest life. We can become workaholic or we become lazy. Marriages, divorces. You see, the enemy knows these are God's per. They are meant to be for your good and for my good. And yet the enemy uses his lies to tempt us, to trip us up so that we don't live in this perfect design anymore. 
when we think of perfect design, these might seem like rules. These might seem like killjoys in our lives. But you see, God designed them for our good. God designed them because is we're meant to live this way. We're meant to experience abundant life in the way that we, in our, our gender identity that God has given to us, in the families, in the way we love one another. We're meant to live with productive life. We're meant to live with restful life. We're meant to live as faithful spouses to one another, a pure life, a life of purity until we get married. We're meant to live that way for our good. I've shared this experience before in my life. When I was in high school, I actually dislocated my shoulder. And sadly to say, it was not even anything uh, um, anything uh, that I can boast about. I dislocated my shoulder on the beach at a sand, on top of sand. And somehow, my shoulder was came out of the joint. And I remember how painful it felt. When it was not the way it's supposed to be. I sat in the emergency room because it's not a life-threatening injury. I sat in there for three hours with my shoulder slumping and the bone out of the socket. Finally, the nurse called me into to the triage and said, oh, we're going to fix this right now. I was like, please, this has been a couple hours. Please fix this. And all the doctor needed to do was simply hold on to my shoulder, pull it out, pull on my arm, lengthen my arm. And within five seconds, my bone just snapped back into the joint. And I've never felt more perfect. I was, I remember specifically that I thought, man, that's how a shoulder is supposed to feel. That was the perfect design of how God created the, the shoulder to be. And I felt so relieved. And, if, and, and when it was out of sight, when it was dis- dislocated, it felt so wrong. It wasn't a sharpening. It wasn't a sharpening. It wasn't coming out of my skin. I wasn't bleeding, but it was wrong. It doesn't feel right. But when it's made, uh, fixed back into the socket, it felt so right. You see, when we share the gospel, we need to start where it, we were supposed to be. God's perfect design in our lives. God's perfect design in our lives is for us to live the way God had designed us to live. And it will feel right when we do so. And when we don't live that way, we don't live right. And here's the problem for, for all of us, myself included, is because there are sin entering into the world. And because sin entered the world, it, it basically gave each one of us a dislocated shoulder, a dislocated life. But you see, God did not just design our lives. He created us and designed to give us good design for every area of our life. He actually designed us, most importantly, to have a relationship with him. God did not have a relationship with the tree and the, the sand and the animals. He God created us to have relationship with him. Create a being to have a relationship with the creator. People who are made up of, of earthly material to be with the one who is immaterial. God designed for us to have a relationship with him. And, and the amazing thing is this. We'll talk more about how we love God next week, about sin next week, brokenness next week. But the beauty of God is that even when we sin, God continue to seek us out. We did not read this passage, but I want to fast forward in chapter three and point out to you because quickly we're going to see after all that God had done to be beautiful and good. The enemy, Satan, tempted Adam and Eve. And they fell 
and sin against God. And I want you to see in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. This is, remember, this is Adam and Eve already sinned, disobeyed God. Here's what it says. God walking in the garden, chapter 3, verse 8, God walking in the garden, looking for Adam and Eve. But the Lord called God, called to the man and said to him, where are you? Let's sit back for a little bit. If someone who have sinned against you, someone did something against you, disobeyed you. How many of us would actually want to still be there with them? But even, even after Adam and Eve sinned against God, God pursued him. God was walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve. He walked with them and talked with them. And he's asking, Adam, where are you? God was the one who pursued Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve pursuing God. Adam and Eve actually was hiding themselves from God. And God still pursued them in their sin and wanted their relationship with them. And that is God's design fundamental for every single one of us. I want to end with this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Verse 11 says, as God has made everything beautiful in his time. And he also put eternity into man's heart. Yes, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, God created us to have a longing. He created, designed us to have a relationship with it. it is until that hole to be made filled with our relationship with Christ, we will continue to live empty life. God had the perfect design in our lives. He created us, loves us. He have a certain order of our lives that will bring forth the most abundant good in our lives. He created us a relationship with us. And yet, Because of sin, we ran away from God. And when we run away from God, we enter into a broken world. We experience brokenness in the world. And for many of us, when we hear the word brokenness, that seems to be a bad thing. And it is a bad thing. But here's the the amazing thing about the good news of Jesus. Is that brokenness oftentimes is the place where in the moment where God turns us back to him. Because he knows that in our brokenness, nothing can satisfy us. We can throw money in our brokenness. We can throw sex into our brokenness. We can throw pornography in our our brokenness. We can throw career. We can throw degrees in our brokenness. It doesn't matter because they won't fulfill us. They won't truly satisfy us. And it's only through the gospel of Jesus who died on the cross, raised from the dead. When we surrender, repent, and believe and follow him, that's when we find true life. That's when we get back to the design that God has given to us. We can recover and be made new again. We can become new person in Christ, Galatians 2.20. New creation to all that's gone, the new has come. This is the gospel that we are preaching. This is the gospel that you and I are living. And we continue to pursue that, that gospel. Once we place our faith in Jesus, we follow him. Why? Not because we're trying to live lame, boring lives. We pursue and be obedient to God because we know that is God's perfect design for us. So when we say yes to God, we're living in the abundance of his, of his kingdom. When we say yes to the world, we're living in the abundance of this earthly kingdom. And while it might feel good, we inevitably go back to the brokenness of this world. 
And so that's what we're going to explore, continue in the next two weeks. We talked about God's design. Next week, we're going to talk about brokenness in this world. And then we're going to talk about how the gospel is such good news for us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much. So much for your original design, your good, perfect design. From the very beginning of scripture, you remind us once again that you intend good for us. You design us to have a relationship with us. Oh God, we're not worthy. As sinners, we're not worthy to be with the creator. And yet, by the blood of Jesus, we're washed clean. We've been rescued. We've been given new life. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us who are believers, to those of us who are disciples of Christ, help us to live fully in the gospel. Help us to live lives as worthy of the gospel. Lord, we don't want to keep saying yes to the world. We want to say yes to your kingdom. We want to say yes to your commandments because you love us and we want to love you back. Help us to experience the abundance of the kingdom life. And Lord, I pray for those among us today here in the Zoom and YouTube worship, Lord, if there's anyone here who have not given their faith their heart to you, who have not given their lives to you, who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God, would you help them to see the beauty that you have laid before them? The beautiful design, good design that you have made them, and yet because of sin, corruption, Lord, help them to experience you anew again. God, help them to be made new once again by the power of the gospel. So, Lord, I pray that they will come to know you. Lord, I pray that you'll answer any questions, break down any barriers that they may have. Lord, I pray against the enemy that keep them from seeing the goodness, the beauty of the gospel. So, Lord, thank you for your word today. Lord, help us to continue to grow and be equipped to share this good news to others. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to take a moment to respond to God. Um, We're going to continue this sing a song to respond to god i want to encourage you take a moment as we sing um to reflect what god has has put in your heart as you hear his good design maybe for some of us we need a moment of repentance i encourage you to pray and ask god to repent of your sin and for those of who don't know god maybe this is a good time to to come before him and say god i want to know you i really trust that those who seek god will god will god will find them so let's worship jesus together